Luke chapter 5. And if you have uh, your phones or tablets or whatnots and you like to use the Bible on there, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. I would suggest that you bypass the YouVersion Bible app that we normally recommend you use and just open up your web browser because actually there's something I want to show you in this text and the easiest way to see it is if you look up blueletterbible.org. So if you have that, if you have a web browser on a phone or tablet, look that up, blueletterbible.org, all one word, blueletterbible.org. And uh, up there at the very top, there's a place where you can type in the text. And the text for today is Luke chapter 5. And you can even put Luke chapter 5, verse 17, because that's where the verse or the story we want to focus in on actually starts. We're in the series called At His Feet. And I mentioned last time, uh, with the kids. In fact, this morning I mentioned again, we're working on this hypothesis that at the feet of Jesus, we can find what we really need. And so uh, where this whole idea came from, not too long ago, I was sitting in a church service at one of the other churches here in town listening to somebody else preach, and the, the preacher made a statement. He said, everybody who found their way to the feet of Jesus Christ found grace, mercy, and acceptance when they got there. And when a preacher says something, normally the first thing I think is, is that really true? Hopefully you think that too. You really ought to be checking what preachers tell you because preachers don't always tell you the truth. Sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes we just get things wrong. So I was sitting there and I heard him say that and I thought to myself, is that really true? And that got me reading and I read through the Gospels. I actually read through the Gospels a couple of times, taking note of every place where it says that somebody came to the feet of Jesus Christ. And I found that for the most part, what he said was true. There are some exceptions, and actually we're going to see one of them in this story today. There are some exceptions, but as a general rule, what he said is absolutely true. Those who come to the feet of Jesus Christ find grace, mercy, and acceptance when they get there. At the feet of Jesus, we really can't find what we're looking for. As I was reading through the Gospels, one of the first things I noticed is that if you're going to talk about people coming to the feet of Jesus Christ, Luke chapter 5 is a good place to begin. In fact, Luke chapter 5 is all about people coming to the feet of Jesus. If you have your Bibles open, you notice it begins with the story of Jesus calling his first disciples. He goes out and he gets in, in Simon Peter's boat and he, he has Peter pull out from the shore and he begins to teach the people from Peter's boat and then once his teaching time is done, he invites Peter to put out a little bit farther and let down his nets for the catch. You might remember that story. And they start hauling in so many fish that their boat isn't enough to hold it all. And I, I don't want to go too far into this because we might preach the story later in the sermon. I'm not real sure just yet. But they start pulling in all these fish. They have, have to call other boats in to help them get the fish back to shore. And when Peter sees what's happened, what does Peter do? He falls at the feet of Jesus, when he realizes there's something special about the person standing in his boat. The next story is also about people coming to the feet of Jesus Christ. Uh, the next story, if you have your Bibles open, you'll see it's about a, a Jesus encountering a person uh, who has leprosy. In fact, Luke says he was, his body was filled with leprosy. He had a bad case. And this man who has leprosy comes to Jesus and falls at Jesus' feet. And says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And you know that story too. Probably Jesus says to him, I'm willing, be clean. And, and the leprosy leaves his body. So chapter 5 is all about people coming to the feet 
of Jesus. And as the word begins to spread, as other people begin to hear what happens, if you come to the feet of Jesus, you find what you need. People start coming to Jesus. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, the story for today, we see lots of people coming to sit at Jesus' feet. It says one day Jesus was teaching. Uh, presumably he was in Capernaum, kind of his home base, hometown. Presumably he was, we know he was preaching or teaching in a house. We know that in Capernaum uh, Jesus stayed in the home of Peter, Simon Peter and his family. So probably he, Jesus is at Peter's house teaching. What Luke spells out, however, is he's not there alone. He says crowds are coming to Jesus. In particular, he says, Pharisees and teachers of the law, religious experts, people who know everything there is to know about God's Word and how to live it out, they are coming to sit at the feet of Jesus. And both Mark and Luke emphasize this. They are sitting at Jesus' feet as Jesus teaches. And so they're, they're listening and In fact, there are so many of them. Luke says they came from every town and village in in Galilee and Judea and even from Jerusalem itself. From all over, these religious experts are gathering in to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to Him teach. But they're not the only ones who want to come to the feet of Jesus. They're not the only ones that have been hearing the story about what happens when you come to Jesus' feet. And Luke says there's also a man who is paralyzed. Now that word paralyzed is a word we take straight from the Greek language. It means to have a side of your body loosed and unable to use it. That's what the literal word itself means. We don't know the extent of this man's paralysis, whether he was what we would call a quadriplegic or a paraplegic, unable to use paralyzed from the neck down or from the waist down. We don't know if perhaps he had had a stroke and and one side of his body was paralyzed. We don't know. All we know is that he is unable on his own power to make his way to Jesus. Fortunately, he's not alone. He has some friends. And his friends decide they're going to take this man on the mat to go see Jesus, probably because they've heard the stories And they know if you find your way to the feet of Jesus Christ, you can find what you really need. So they bring him to Jesus. Only when they get there, they can't get inside. The house is packed. There are all these Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting, listening as Jesus teaches. It would be hard for one of them to weave his way through that crowd to Jesus, let alone four of them carrying a, a paralyzed man on a stretcher. There's no way in. The house is too crowded. You probably are familiar with this story. You know what they did. They found their way up onto the roof of the home and began removing the tiles that made up the roof of that house until they've opened up an opening in the ceiling. And then lowering the paralyzed man down on a mat, they lower him down right into the middle of the crowd, Luke says, right in front of Jesus. He finds his way. To the feet of Jesus. Luke says Jesus looks at them. Them, not just Him. Looks at them, sees their faith. And He says to the paralyzed man, Friend, your sins are forgiven. 
You can almost hear the grass go through the crowd as, as all of those religious experts begin hearing Jesus say, your sins have been forgiven. Blasphemy is what they start whispering to each other, thinking to themselves. Here's, and I know I've mentioned this to you before, but just to refresh your memory, this is one of those Bible interpretation, one of those key words that you can clue in on, almost without exception. There are a couple, there are a couple, like Mary wondering her to herself what Gabriel's greeting might possibly mean. There are, are a few exceptions, but almost without exception. In the Gospels especially, when the Bible says somebody thinks to themselves, or they say to themselves, you can almost count on them making a huge mistake and saying something stupid. This is not one of those exceptions. They begin thinking to themselves, blasphemy. No one can forgive sin except God alone. And that part at least is true, right? They just don't understand the authority that Jesus has as God's one and only Son. It says, friend, your sins are forgiven. They start thinking to themselves of blasphemy. And Jesus knows that silent dialogue going on in their minds. Jesus knows what they're thinking, and he turns to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and asks them a question, which is easier, to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say to him, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he turns to the paralyzed man. He says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately, Luke emphasizes that, immediately the man gets up off the ground, picks up his mat, and goes home. And everybody, everybody watching says, we have seen remarkable things today. A familiar story. I'd like to talk a little bit more about that story today. The problem with this story is that there are actually a couple of sermons here in it. Two different sermons for two different types of people. And in the short time I have left, I'm going to attempt to preach them both. So you might as well settle in for the long haul. Two sermons for two different types of people. The first thing I want you to notice is that uh, there is a message here for the paralytics among us. And now obviously I'm not talking about those who have some sort of physical disability. I, I'm talking about those who, like the man on the mat, find themselves in need of grace. There's good news in this story for those who find themselves in need of grace. And since all of us need grace, right? You don't seem convinced of that. Since all of us need grace, I guess this part of the sermon is for every single person here today, so you'd better be listening. My question, my question I want to ask of this text is, is what kind of grace can we expect to find at the feet of Jesus? In this story, there are two things that stand out to me about the grace that Jesus offers. The first thing I notice is that at the feet of Jesus, we can expect to find the kind of grace that sees us as a person, not merely as a problem. Let me explain. Part of the story that always seems to catch our attention, the thing we always seem to focus in on is, why did Jesus respond the way he did to the man who was on the mat? Why did he say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, when obviously what he really wanted was to be healed? 
You'd think there was a little bit of disappointment maybe in, the, in that man. He was paralyzed. He couldn't get up and walk. And he'd come all the way to Jesus hoping to find healing. And, and instead, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And, and we like to ask ourselves, what in the world is Jesus thinking? Why doesn't he meet the man's need and then forgive him? I suspect part of the reason we get so puzzled by this is because we don't see the man on the mat the way that Jesus did. How do we see him? I think you can see it in the very way we talk about the man on the mat. We call him the, the paralytic. When we talk about him, even, even in the headings of our Bible, it's that Jesus forgives a paralytic. In our minds, his identity is wrapped up in his disability. When we see him, we can't look at him without seeing what he can't do. We see this man that for whatever reason cannot walk. We, we see him and in our minds he's something less than fully human. He's, he is incomplete. He is fundamentally broken. There's something missing about him. When we look at him, we see his problem. And there are others in our world that we look at much the same way. There are probably a lot of people that you can think of that when you think of them, you don't see them as a person. You see what they're missing. You, you see how they are incomplete. But at least in this story, Jesus doesn't see people that way. When this man finds himself at the feet of Jesus, he finds somebody who looks at him and sees more than just a paralytic. In Jesus' eyes, he's, just not, he's not just a man who can't walk. He is a person, a full person in need of grace. And so Jesus addresses that need. and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Jesus looks at all of us like that. All of us who are, are missing something. All of us who, if we were honest, somewhere are fundamentally broken. Where others see us as a problem, Jesus sees us as a person created in His own image in need of grace. At the feet of Jesus Christ, we find somebody who sees us not as a problem, but as a person. Second thing I notice about this grace that this man on the mat finds from Jesus is that he finds the kind of grace that goes before. Kids, are you writing these down? Those are the two answers to the first question in your sermon part of your bulletin so you can get the prize after service. Grace that sees us as people and grace that goes before. What do I mean by that? To understand that, here's where we need to dig a little bit deeper into the text. Because there's a truth here that's not easily seen in, in most English translations. It's not like it's a mystery hidden that only the smart people who go to college can figure out. It's there for all of us to see if we know where to look. And, and I want to help you know where to look on this, okay? So that you can see this for yourself. This is why those of you that have cell phones or tablets, I ask you to find that 
blue letter Bible on your phones. If you don't have one with you, don't worry, I'll tell you what it says, and you can look it up at home later to see if I'm telling you the truth. But if you have that app open, and if you looked up Luke chapter 5, uh, you'll see that it's all listed out there by verse, and and off to the left-hand side of the page, there's this thing that says tools, and next to that, there's references for each verse. Find the one that says Luke chapter 5, verse 20, and and click on it there. And if your phone is faster than mine, mine still says loading, it, when you click on that there, it will pull up this in-detail view. There'll be a box up at the top with stuff that looks really weird. That's Greek. It's okay. And then down at the bottom, there's a box that's in Greek again. And in the middle, there's this there's this table that has the verse broken down almost word by word. There are several columns in this table. The first says English, and the second column says Strong's, and the third column says Root Form, and the last column says Parsing. It's that last column I want to look at where it says Parsing. Do you know what it means to parse something? Don't feel bad if you don't. That's a fairly unusual word to use. According to Merriam-Webster, to parse means to describe a word grammatically. I can see you're getting excited already. To describe a word grammatically by stating the part of speech and explaining its inflection and syntactical relationships. Let me explain what that means. In our language, verbs change depending on how they're used, right? Think of the verb to be. When we use that in a sentence, we use it changes forms. I am, you are, he was, we were. All of those are the same verb. They're just different forms depending on, on the tense and the person, the singular or plural, first person, second person, present or past. Parsing is looking at a verb, at how it's formed, and seeing how it's used in the sentence. And Greek's no different. I'll give you a hint. Parsing is the worst part of Greek translation. And if I had things like this when I was in college, I never would have learned a thing, because the computer will do it for you now. You don't have to do it like I, I did back in the dark ages. In fact, if you click on that, go down to where it says, Are Forgiven. You see that row there? Are forgiven tells you that the Greek form there, the Greek word is apiphemi. And then at the end, there's that button that says parse. If you click on that thing that says parse, it will tell you that it is in perfect tense, passive voice, indicative mood. You say, what does that mean? I'll tell you what that means. Working backwards, indicative. That's... That is the mood of statement of fact. It's not subjunctive, not talking about what might be. It's not imperative, talking about what must be. It's just indicative, just describing what is. It is in the passive voice. Uh, sins is the subject of that sentence. If it was active, the sins would be doing the forgiving. But this is passive. The sins aren't forgiving. The sins are being forgiven. Passive voice. What about the tense? Those of you that have been around Southdale a long time are probably thinking, oh no, he's going to talk about marathons again. I am. Best illustration I have of this. Let's, the Boston Marathon was this week, right? 
Let's imagine, uh, Hannah's dad did, but let's imagine that I ran the Boston Marathon. Don't laugh, that's not nice. Imagine that I, if in the middle of that race, I could accurately say in the presence tense, I am, well, if I could breathe, I could say, I am running a marathon right now. Present tense describes a continuing action in the present time. There are also past tenses. I could now, looking back on the marathon, say, I ran a marathon. If I did, I didn't, so I can't actually say that. But I could say, I ran a marathon. And and that doesn't tell you how long it took. The emphasis isn't on, on just how grueling that race was. It just looks at that past event as a single thing. It says, I did it, it's done, complete, finished. Now, I might want to emphasize, and I probably would if I ran a marathon, I probably would want to emphasize just how hard it was on me. And so I'd use the imperfect tense. I was running a marathon, and man, it took forever. I thought it was never going to end. I was running, and I was run a continuing action in the past. None of those are perfect yet, are they? This is perfect tense. What do we mean by perfect? Well, imagine you're standing at the finish line with me. Well, you're standing. I am probably laying in a heap at the finish line, trying desperately to catch my breath and get feeling back in my extremities. And you look down at me laying there on the ground, obviously miserable, and say, Pastor Brad, what in the world is wrong with you? I very well might say, if I could catch my breath, I have run a marathon. That's perfect tense. I have run. It's already done. It's completed. Happened in the past. But oh boy, am I still feeling the effects of that. Completed in the past, but its effects are still being felt in the present. In the Greek, that is the perfect tense, indicative mood. Something that has already taken place. Even if it just happened, it has already taken place and the effects of it continue on into the present. Now notice the text. We know from Blue Letter Bible that this is a perfect tense verb. Jesus looks at their faith and says to the man, and, and the best translation here would be, friend, your sins have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. It's done. And the effects are still present. Now what does that mean? When this man on the mat finds himself at the feet of Jesus, he finds that even before he can give voice to what he needs, his need has already been met. It's grace that goes before. Even before he can ask, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on me. Even before he can give utterance to his heart's cry, Jesus says, your sins have, past tense, been forgiven. Before he can call out, grace has already answered. Now don't get me wrong, we can't sit back and say, well, I, there's nothing I need to do because my sins have already been forgiven. It's still vitally important that we, we receive and respond to the grace that's offered. But grace always makes the first move. 
And this man found that out at the feet of Jesus Christ. There's grace that sees you as a person, not as a problem. And grace that goes before. Of course, that's just one of the sermons. What about the other one? There's a message here for people who need grace. There's also a message here for people that have already found grace. Many of us fit that category too, so I'd like to share that this morning if you'll sit that long. There's a message here for those that have already found grace. Because Jesus and the man on the mat and his friends, they're not the only characters in this story. There are two Jesus and the man on the mat, in addition to them, there are two other groups of people in this story. Kids, are you paying attention? This is the second question there in your bulletin. Two other groups of people in the story. There are the Pharisees and there are the friends. Let's talk some about the Pharisees. The Pharisees, as we said earlier, are the religious establishment. There are people who have spent their lives studying God's Word and mastering how to live out its commands. Or at least mastering how to appear like they're living out its commands. And so appropriately, when word about Jesus and what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is teaching, when, when word about what happens when you come to the feet of Jesus begins spreading through Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, they start coming to Jesus. Not only do they come to Jesus, they flock to Jesus. From every town, Luke says, every village, they come to Jesus. And not only do they come, they position themselves in the place of discipleship. You notice that in the text, right? They come to Jesus and they sit at His feet. Now, I read this week at least one author who sees sitting as a sign of arrogance because he points out that teachers... In Jesus' day, teachers sat when they taught. And so these people come as disciples, but they sit as if they're teachers. I don't think that's what's going on here. Because it's not just the teacher that sat. The disciples would then sit. Think about Luke chapter 10, the story of Mary, the other, the other, other Mary. Mary, the sister of Martha. Remember, Jesus comes to Mary's house, and Martha's busy getting everything ready. And what's Mary doing? Using another form of this same word, Luke says, she is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to everything He says. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is the posture of discipleship. That's what these Pharisees do. They come to Jesus and sit as His disciples. Only they're not there to be discipled, are they? The posture of their bodies doesn't reflect the posture of their hearts. See, discipleship is about being changed. Discipleship is about being shaped and formed in the likeness, into the likeness of the Master. Discipleship is about being made like Jesus. And these Pharisees aren't there listening to Jesus teach so that they might be changed by His Word. They're there to evaluate what He has to say. You catch that in the story, right? They're there to listen to everything Jesus has to say, and if he slips up, they're going to catch him on it. See, the Pharisees love to listen to Jesus. They love to listen to what Jesus says, and they love to watch what Jesus does as long as what he says and what he does fits their expectations. But as soon as he begins to challenge their assumptions, they turn on him. We'd never do that, would we? 
preacher. So long as you say what I believe, good job. But as soon as you start challenging my assumptions, you're meddling. You better not do that. These Pharisees are sitting at Jesus' feet, but they're there to evaluate his sermon. It's interesting to me that they always seem to get offended when Jesus talks about expanding the circle of grace. Luke chapter 4, just, a couple, just one chapter earlier, you see Jesus in the synagogue in Nazareth reading from the scroll of Isaiah, and they love that. The whole stuff about proclaiming the good news and preaching freedom and healing and God's favor, they love that. Luke says they all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words. But as soon as he starts talking about other folks, as soon as he starts hinting that God might have grace, that God might have grace for that woman from Sidon, or that God might have grace for that general from Syria, they get offended and they're ready to throw him off the cliff. As long as what he says fits their expectation, they love it. But as soon as he challenges them, it's there in Luke chapter 14 and 15. Luke chapter 14, Jesus is at a Pharisee's house having a meal. And the Pharisees love it when Jesus comes to dinner because it makes them feel special to have someone so popular and so famous sitting at their table and, and eating their food. They love having Jesus eat with them. But in Luke chapter 15, as soon as Jesus starts spending time with the tax collectors and sinners, those same Pharisees are grumbling to themselves, how dare Jesus eat with people like that? That's these Pharisees. They're there. They love what Jesus has to say when it fits their expectation. But as soon as he starts calling them to change, they get upset. They're sitting in a posture of discipleship, but they're not interested in being discipled. Notice two things here. First of all, they become an exception to the rule. Everyone who comes to Jesus' feet finds grace, mercy, and acceptance. I suppose maybe that's true. But that grace, mercy, and acceptance has no impact on them because they come as a disciple, refusing to be discipled. There's grace there, but they won't receive it. What's more, not only did they not receive grace, they become, by their attitude, an obstacle to the others who are looking for grace. When the man on the mat who needs grace comes, he can't get to the feet of Jesus because there are too many Pharisees sitting in the way. God help us. Fortunately, it's not just the Pharisees. There's that other group. There are friends as well. Now Luke doesn't give us much detail about them. We don't know if they've been following Jesus, if they've heard what Jesus had said. They don't, Luke doesn't tell us if they've already seen what Jesus can do, if they've already come to Jesus' feet themselves and found mercy and grace, or if they're just people that have heard the stories and are curious like their friend. We don't know. All we know is that they do have faith. Jesus saw it in their eyes. Remember that? Jesus looked at them and saw their faith. Vitally important word, faith, in the New Testament. Faith is critical to the good news about Jesus. 
You might not know this, but interestingly, this is the first time that word faith is used in Luke's gospel. These friends coming first become the very definition for Luke's readers of what faith looks like. What does it mean to have faith in Christ? It means to believe that at His feet you can find what you need. And it also means being willing to put feet to that belief. To find a friend and bring him along. We know these friends had faith. We also know that these friends put feet to their faith. They found the friend on the mat and they brought him to Jesus. Of course, it required some new approaches. You know, they couldn't go into the door, in through the door like they normally do. They had to go up on the roof. Sometimes putting feet to our faith requires new approaches. Sometimes it takes creativity. They also had to start moving things out of the way. Sometimes, sometimes it requires that to begin pulling obstacles out of the way that prevent others from coming to Christ. But that's what faith is. Believing that at Jesus' feet you can find what you need and being willing to bring others there. Pharisees and friends. I don't know which sermon you needed today. That's why I preached them both. Maybe you find yourself Maybe you find yourself on the mat. Maybe you find yourself in need of grace. If so, I want you to know that you can find it at Jesus' feet. The kind of grace that sees you, not as a problem, but as a person. And the kind of grace that has already paved the way for you. You need grace. You can find it at Jesus' feet. Maybe today you are also a recipient of grace. You know what it means to find help at Jesus' feet. For you, the question is, which kind of person are you going to be? Are you going to be the Pharisee that sits in a posture of discipleship without any interest in being discipled? Or are you going to be a friend? Someone who not just believes, but puts feet to their faith. Moves obstacles out of the way rather than becoming an obstacle. And brings people to Jesus. 